our scripture reading this morning, just want to take some time out to, to uh, thank the Lord for this week of ministry, a very busy week. Thank the Lord for the many um, who made it possible for our boot camp, for our boys. There's so many people involved in that. I'm thankful for our men who really stepped up and they did a great job. We thank, I think of uh, Lawrence with his wife, Charmone, as well. Um, Charles Alexander, Brian, um, Aaron, and Nick, and uh, then, then our men who also helped with uh, just various duties uh, from day to day who came by, whether it's treats or uh, special activities, um, Willie, um, Cliff, and uh, just, I'm just praising God for um, the boys who were there. We had a good group of boys there. We had a very good week to uh, bond with those boys. We see them growing from year to year. We had several from the neighborhood, um, some who heard about us through uh, Facebook and, and came and uh, were there all five days. So we just praise the Lord for that. Our ladies also who helped. Uh, Michelle with our nursery uh, all five all five days or during the week and we just praise God for that and others who uh, assisted in different uh, activities and duties with watching our kids so I'm just thankful um, for your sacrifice to make that uh, work and looking forward to uh, one more week uh, with our girls jump rope camp and and uh, praying that uh, God will just help us to be uh, fruitful in that ministry as well now our scripture reading for this morning will come from Colossians chapter 1 starting at verse 15 through verse 29. Colossians 1 verse 15 through 29. Let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Colossians 1 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God 
that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you the hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. May God give us understanding and challenge our hearts with the reading of his word. Would you bow with me in a moment of prayer? A choir will come after prayer and then the preaching of God's word. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here today, for your grace, for your mercy, to save us, to cleanse us from our sin, to forgive us, and to allow us to worship you. We pray, Lord, that you would make your word clear to us today as we hear it, take away distractions that might um, try to diminish the effectiveness of your word. And we pray that we'll focus on your truth, to hear it, to meditate on it, and to live it out. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. We are text. In the previous verses, we have seen who Christ is. It's a Christ-centered book, and Paul is speaking in great terms of who Christ is so that we might understand the greater, the fullness of him. The Bible presents Jesus, and it presents him from different views and perspectives that we might get a full picture of who he is. And so we talk about who he is. The second part talks about what he has done for us. We looked at that last week in verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh. And now today, starting at verse 24, we will see what Christ has done, what it produces in the lives of those who trust him. Who Christ is, what he's done, and how that impacts and what it produces in the lives of those who trust him. So at verse 24, Paul talks about his suffering. He says, I, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Suffering is not a new topic in the gospel. We know that the gospel came to us. The gospel points to the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He suffered on the cross. So it is about his suffering. But the gospel also includes our suffering in some way. Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Why is it 
that he would rejoice in his suffering. Why is suffering something that Paul rejoiced in? Well, first of all, we understand that this is what God had called him to. If you remember back in, back in Acts chapter 9, I'm going to turn there very briefly. In Acts chapter 9, in verse 16, when God was speaking to, to Ananias, his servant, who he had called to minister to Paul, he told him this, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So we hear that, we understand that, but, but, but what does it mean and, and, and why is this a vital part of the gospel? We see that Christ suffered, we see that Paul suffered and he, he rejoiced in the suffering that he had. We need to understand then how that fits in with us and how, what role suffering will play in our own lives. Let's take a look at a few things that Paul had to say about suffering. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, turn there with me, 2 Timothy 1 verse 8. Paul is teaching a young pastor, Timothy, and he says this to him. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Why would he say that? wonder what was common about the Lord Jesus Christ and Paul was both of them had suffered, not to the same degree, but both had suffered. And so Paul said, don't be ashamed of this suffering. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So he, he admonished Timothy to share in suffering. Now that doesn't sound like good news. That doesn't sound like something we welcome or we look forward to hearing, but it's something that is a part of the gospel. But here's the good news that comes with it. In the last part of that verse, he says, share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God. In other words, God sends his power that allows us to live the way that he wants us to live. Let's look at another verse. All of these verses are in 2 Timothy. <coughs> Skip to chapter 3, verse 10. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my joy, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from all, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Now that's interesting. He said he endured, and then he says, yet the Lord rescued him. We usually think of rescue in the sense of that the Lord will cause us to escape from those sufferings. That's not what happened with Paul. The Lord empowered him through them. This is where we walk by faith and not by sight. God gives the strength to those that are his to endure the suffering that he brings in their lives. Now notice what he says then in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, they will endure some type 
of suffering. Well, suffering can include a, a, a number of things. I think of suffering, for, first of all, uh, we think of it as, as pain that we, we go through, but it's, it's, it's more than that. It, it includes uh, the sacrifices that we make when we live a godly life. In other words, there are things that we give up that we, we, we no longer have because we choose to live the way God wants us to live. In fact, the world looks at us and, and they says, I'm not willing to give that up to live for Christ. And what we say is, I understand that. I would love to enjoy some of those things that, that you have. Some are, 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 are good and, and not sinful. Uh, and, and even those things that are sinful, my flesh is often drawn to, but I have to pull away from for the sake of the gospel. So we sacrifice and we give up some things that the world can engage in that we won't. Because we live for Christ. So it's a sacrifice in a sense. Sometimes it's a sacrifice uh, just financially. You come, you heard Andy to encourage us to, to keep up our giving so that we might maintain the gospel going from this place. That calls for a sacrifice from us. No matter how much money you have, when you set some aside for the Lord, you have sacrificed. People say, well, you know, if you have a lot, it's not really a big sacrifice. Well, that, that, that's just not true because they can do the same thing with that money no matter what it is that you can do with it. And so they have sacrificed the, the, the things that that money could bring them so that they might honor God in that. And that is, in, in, it is a sacrifice which is in part a part of suffering. Suffering uh, also includes the commitment that we make. Because we love the Lord, because we are called to his purposes, we make a commitment. You're here today because you have committed yourself to hear God's word, to serve God's word, to serve God's people, and to serve others who have yet to respond to the gospel. You make a commitment to do that. You get out of bed in the morning. You give up that time in your day, um, not just morning on Sunday, but Sunday evening, Wednesday throughout the week. And the more you get involved in ministry like we did this week, the more you're involved in other things that you give up so that you might uh, 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 have an effective role in the gospel going out. And so that's a part um, of our suffering. Our discipline is a part of, of, of our suffering and what we give uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we discipline ourselves in several things, whether that's prayer and reading God's word, um, uh, uh, ministering to others. We, we, we exercise discipline so that we might live the life that God wants us to live. And then another part of, 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 of suffering could be called uh, just our labor, our hard work to do the things that are involved in walking with the Lord and, and ministering to others. We had a group of men yesterday at the Milwaukee Rescue Mission who, who come. We use that third Saturday, and they come uh, preaching, teaching, singing, ministering to the men there. And so that is a, a, a labor. That is a work that takes some uh, uh, effort to do that. And that's a part of what we do in our sacrifice, in our commitment, in our discipline is part of our suffering um, for 
uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his work. We see back in our text, excuse me, I want to go through just one more thing. We're in 2 Timothy. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. 2 Timothy 2, 3. He says this. You with me there? He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that, that I, I, I preach and, and I teach and, and I want to be grounded in, in our lives, you see that as we dealt with the young men this week, I want them to, to have a soldier mentality. I don't want them to be weaklings. I don't want them to be uh, 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 sissies. I don't want them to be uh, um, easily hurt and, and offended and, and, and unwilling to take on uh, uh, the, 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 the hardships that come with life. Paul says to, to, to Timothy, he says, uh, um, share in suffering as a good soldier. In other words, if you're going to be a soldier and God is calling us to be soldiers, to fight, it's almost impossible to be in a fight and not suffer something physically. Not suffer something physically. I remember as, as a high school athlete um, training for the different sports and wrestling was one. And I remember my first wrestling match. Um, the first two minutes of that match, I felt like I was going to die. I'm thinking, I, I should just lay down, let this be over. I was exhausted. It felt like every muscle in my body was strained to maximum capacity. I didn't expect that kind of feeling in a match, but that, that it, 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 it taxed me to that degree. But, but athletics is a good preparation for us in our thinking and in, in, in our enduring for life. Paul says to Timothy, endure suffering like a good soldier. In other words, understand that it's a part of the life that God has called you to. Stop bickering, pouting, and complaining. We, we dealt with our, our young boys on this this weekend. And the truth is, it's not, it's not the little ones that had the problem. It's some of the bigger ones that have the problem. We have to teach them to stop the complaining. Develop a mentality where you endure. You go, you go on even though you, you have some hardships. It was raining a little. It wasn't even raining. It was just a little mist in the air. And one of the guys said, it's raining. I said, really? Really? Is that going to stop you from doing what you need to do? A little mist in the air? It's like, oh, it's raining. Close up shop. Let's go home. No. Do, you know, do you think a soldier, when it, when it rains, oh, I'm sorry, we can't fight today. It's raining outside. Put up our guns. You know, take off our boots. Strap them, you know, put them back on the bed. Let's go back and sleep. Let's not fight today. If you're going to walk with Christ, there are hardships that you must endure. And so Paul says this. He's, he says, share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You know, there's been this, uh, I know for, for many years, there's been a push to take 
this kind of mentality out of Scripture. Just t take songs that talk about warfare and suffering out of our hymns and out of our singing. And, you know, if you want to do that, why don't you just toss the Bible out? Why don't you just throw it out? Why don't you just say, I don't like the way God says things? Because from the very beginning, God talks about living for him and, and living in obedience to him as warfare. And it is a, conf it's a conflict. It's a constant battle. The truth is we have real enemies, and he is trying to destroy us. And the sooner we understand that, we prepare for that, and we can battle with that proper mentality. And so he says this, that Christ suffered, and so we must endure some suffering. Again, before I get out of 2 Timothy, uh, look at verse 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. He says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Look what Paul is saying. He said, because I preach Christ, I've been thrown in jail and treated like the worst criminal ever. Then he says, But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Very, a couple keys there. I endure everything. He says, I've been, mis excuse me, I've been mistreated, but I endure it. And why do I endure it? This is important. For the sake of God's elect. What is Paul saying there? What does the elect mean? The elect means that God has in his mind, God knows exactly who he's going to call to himself. I don't know who that is, but God knows it. And so Paul is saying, while I don't know in the future who's going to come to trust Christ, I'm willing to endure whatever I need to do so that the gospel can go out of my life and impact them. So Paul is saying, I'm willing to suffer to see other people be transferred from the kingdom of darkness, from the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of his son. I'm willing to do whatever I need to do, endure suffering so that that might happen. By the way, do we realize that the means of salvation coming to people, in other words, when I say means, we think about how does a person get saved. We hear the gospel and we trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. God does a work in our heart, right? But what, what does he use to bring us to salvation? Sometimes we think about the work of God and we think that God just, just kind of waves a magic wand and then we believe. We think because God is, is all-powerful, he just like maybe send something in the air, maybe the spirit just goes out and just does his work, and we just come to believe. Well, we, we need to understand that God uses a means to bring us to salvation. In other words, he doesn't just do it without using some tangible thing. He doesn't just wave a magic wand and it appears or it happens. He uses a means. Now, why he uses a means I don't know. 
Because God can do things any way he wants to. But he chooses a means. Now, what is that mean that I'm talking about? What is the tool or the instrument that he uses to bring about salvation to those who don't trust him yet? Guess what it is? It's me and you. It's me and you. God chooses to use instruments, human instruments, to bring his gospel so that those who might come to believe will hear the gospel, will see the gospel, and respond to the gospel. So that's a very important thing for us to understand. God uses a human means, me and you. He doesn't just make it magically happen. Paul understands that. Remember in this chapter, in chapter 1 of Colossians, he begins to pray that these believers in this city would, would understand the gospel, that they will come and be strengthened and grow and mature in this gospel. He prays that. But how does God bring that about? Paul is not naive to think, I'm just going to pray and God's going to magically make this happen. How does he bring that about? Let me get practical now. He brings that about through you participating in things like boys boot camp. He brings that about by you going out and doing the work to, to make girls jump rope camp happen. He brings that about by you inviting people to Sunday school and showing up and being faithful and serving there and teaching there and, and, and taking that gospel and speaking that gospel to others. We pray every Wednesday. We were here just Wednesday while, while the boot camp was going on. We were praying for God saving those loved ones in our family. How does God bring that about? Do we just pray and wait for God to, 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 to do that? No. We pray, Lord... Use your means. May it be me. Or in the case where that loved one is in a distant place, maybe you use the communication I can get. I can use the Internet and do that. Or maybe you use someone there to speak to them and to live in front of them. But God is going to use a human means to do that. So while, here's my point. While Paul was praying for that, he also says, now in verse 24 that we're looking at, he says, I'm praying that you grow in the Lord. Verse 24 says, I'm willing to suffer for that. I'm willing to be a part of you growing in the Lord even when I have to sacrifice to make that happen. I'm willing to use of myself so that you might hear the gospel, see the gospel, and then come to believe in the gospel. I know that I'm, I, God can use me as a means. That don't mean the magic is in me. It's still God doing the work. But he chooses a human means to do that. Think about it. How did our salvation come about? God didn't just say, okay, I know you're a sinner. You're alienated from me. And so I snapped my finger. I waved my magic wand, and you're reconciled to me. That's not the way God did it. How did God reconcile, bring us back in the right relationship? He sent his son, the human means. He sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin, to physically die, to suffer and to die on the cross for our sins. And God says, those who trust in the one who I've sent as a means for your salvation will be saved. 
So it's not just a magic wand to say man is sinful, he needs a Savior, and I will save him. Boom, you're all saved. He doesn't do it that way. He sent his son as a means. Now he sends us who have been saved as a means to draw others to himself. Do not ignore that the way that God works. There's a sense in which Paul says this in, in Romans chapter 10, how can they hear? Unless someone is sent. Unless someone takes the gospel out, how can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless someone speaks to them? The means is needed. That's why we preach. That's why we teach. That's why we live. Pray then as you pray for your relatives, as you pray for your neighbors, pray that God will use you. Pray that God will use others, that they will live a faithful and consistent life to be the means that God can use to bring others to salvation. Now, see, that kind of prayer involves us, doesn't it? It's not just, Lord, save the whole wide world. It's, Lord, I want to be effective living for you so those around me might hear Christ and see Christ in me. Use me for your glory. Paul says, I'm willing to suffer for the sake of God's elect. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We looked at verse 10. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He recognized that wasn't going to happen by magic, sometimes we think of grace and we just think of the magic. God's grace is going to wave over people and they're just going to be saved. No, God sends you. He sends me. And he sends us with his gospel to bring the salvation those who don't know Christ. And let's go back to Colossians chapter 1 now. Verse 25. So let me just explain a little bit more verse 24. When he says, <clears throat> I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. He, this is, there's a confusing phrase that he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. He, it, it can give the impression that something was missing from what Christ did or, or something didn't uh, uh, um, uh, fulfill, some, and, and that's the wrong sense of that. What he's saying is that Christ's afflictions is the means that God used for salvation, but there's also the means of us. That our, God uses us. And Paul says, I am a part. I am partner with Christ's affliction. So as Christ died, I can live that life to give that message to others so that they can come to Christ. God is using my life and, and specifically even my afflictions partnered with Christ to bring salvation to others. He has a role in this, and we each have a role in that. 
Verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. Paul had a stewardship. What's a stewardship? It, it is a responsibility. It is a call. I think a word that we would use today uh, would be administrator or manager. An administrator is one who is responsible for a certain thing. that uh, could be a program, uh, uh, an agenda. Um, he is responsible for that. He's in charge of that. A manager has a certain amount of responsibility that's been put in his charge to get something done. Paul says, I've been given this management. I've been given this responsibility to get something done. He is a, a steward um, given a responsibility. And what is his responsibility? Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. That was given to me for you. And here's his responsibility. To make the word of God fully known. That's his responsibility. You know, when I worked in a world as, a, as an engineer, the business world, people would hand out their business cards and they would talk about their jobs as they went to different seminars and, and they would impress you with their responsibility, their title on their card, or in some cases people would, people would ask you, uh, you know, what's, what, what budget are you in charge of? And so you would say, well, look, I have a $25 million budget. And that, that would show that you are responsible for X amount of dollars. That would show how, how important, in, in essence, how important you were, how big you were over that company. What, what is the size of your budget people would look at in the business world? Paul says, I've been given a budget. <laughs> I've been given a responsibility. My responsibility is to make known the Word of God. And in the true sense, all of us have been given a similar responsibility to, to proclaim, to tell the Word of God. I like the way he says it, to make known, to make it simple, not impress people with your knowledge, but to help them to understand this message that comes from God, to speak out the truth from God. Paul saw it as a serious responsibility to make known the word of God. He goes on to say about this that he speaks of the word of God. And in a lot of cases, we can say the word of God is synonymous with the gospel. The, God, the word of God, in other words, the Bible is about the gospel. And the gospel is centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the Bible is centered in. To, to, to speak the gospel to us, and that's centered in the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, when I say gospel, people often just think of John 3.16 in a simplistic sense. They think of a person trusting in Christ and receiving eternal life. But what they don't understand fully is the gospel deals with the whole message of God, which is God's judgment on sin and God's deliverance from that judgment. So the gospel includes both of that. So when you tell a person that they, they need to truly look at John 3.16 in the right way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish. The judgment of God is included in that gospel that, look, if you don't turn from sin, there is a judgment. There is an eternal judgment. It's, it, it is not just this positive 
news that so many people often depict it as, as just, you know, God just loves you and he just wants the best for your life. Why don't you just embrace the love of God? Yes, God loves you. But do you understand that God will judge sin and he's not a respecter of persons? That is part of the gospel. Jesus Christ died for sin. Sin is so serious in the mind of God that his son had to die to pay for, pay, for, pay for that payment. He doesn't just, again, wave his magic wand and make this go away or, or eliminate your sin. Your sin and my sin is paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ because of the judgment of God. And so he says, I have this role, this responsibility to make the word of God fully known. Not just a partial gospel, but fully known. Speak out the truth and, 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 and help others to see the fullness of this word in this gospel. He goes on to say what this is in verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages. He speaks of the word of God or the plan of God as some type of a mystery. It's a mystery in the sense that people did not understand the fullness of it. He brings out what that fullness is so it doesn't remain a mystery anymore. People, people like to show that they are, are, are knowledgeable in something. And they want you to think that there's some mystery that you don't know that they know. Well, Paul reveals the mystery right here. He says, here it is right here. There is a mystery that's been hidden. It has been hidden for ages, but it's now revealed to his saints. God lets us in on what his plan was that other people before time didn't completely understand. What is it? What is this plan? It is that God would save Gentiles. God would include in his people group those who weren't part of his chosen people, and he broadens that out now. And it's not just the nation of Israel in that sense that was understood uh, and sometimes confused by some in the Old Testament. It is not just the nation. It is the people who come to trust in Christ, become the people of God. He says it this way. This mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints, to them... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, and he says what it is, Christ in you. Paul is talking to a city of Gentiles. He says, here's the mystery, Christ in you. This Christ that we've declared earlier in, in, in this chapter to be fully God now is said to be available to you for your salvation. And now you are included in the people of God. This is the great mystery that was unknown to the people of God. <laughs> unknown in the Old Testament. They didn't quite understand it, although it's proclaimed all through the Old Testament. In, in our boys' camp, we talked about the story of Noah and how God saved one family. But he used Noah to bring redemption to the whole, to all living, or, or to, 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 to save mankind through one family. God wants to save from every people group, and he has always wanted to do that. And he's shown that here in his word. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory.
So he shares with them what this great mystery is. He had a stewardship, a responsibility to make known the word of God. He shares with people who had been excluded from God's special people and now are included in that. This is, again, all through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other means for salvation except through Christ. And then he says this in verse 28. Him we proclaim. This Jesus we proclaim. Remember I said what the gospel included? Here we see it in this verse. Warning and teaching. Why does he have to warn? Because the gospel speaks of the wrath of God. It speaks of the judgment of God. We are warning individuals that if you do nothing, if you live as you are living right now and do nothing, you will go to hell. You will experience the judgment of God. There's something that needs to be done. You need to seek refuge in God and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to escape the judgment of God. So he says, we're warning. Verse 28, this Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. What is the goal? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. We want to see those who trust in Christ grow in Christ and grow up in Christ and mature. Reminds me of the first thing he talked about, the, the topic of suffering, is that, look, suffering is a part of our lives, and as we grow up, we understand that and not trying to run away from it, but actually realize God's plan for us. So the goal, then, is to bring people to Christ and then to help them grow in their trust, in their, their living for Christ. This takes effort. Look at verse 29. For this I toil, struggling. For this I toil, struggling. I mentioned before, and here's the example of it. Paul matches his prayer early in the chapter. Where he's, remember what he says? Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power. He's praying for them that they grow and that they mature. And then he says, I do more than just pray. I'm willing to be the means of them growing. I'm willing to be the one that God uses to help them to grow. And so he says, I toil. As you pray for something, recognize that God wants you to make yourself available to be used of him. That's why we want to get people involved and included in, in some vital parts of, of ministry. Um, as people come into Sweet Communion, we want them to learn the word of God. But we also want them to, to live word of God. So we want them to, 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 to do that. You, you're going to grow in the Lord as you become involved and active alongside other believers. You, you know, if you, if you just plan to sit there in that pew, you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow. You need to, to 
learn the Word of God, and you're going to learn it best by actually working and sharing in the Word of God. You're going to get involved in the works and in the ministries. Now, God has, has given, I think he's given Sweet Communion some uh, unique works and ministries that he has us involved in. He's given this to us, and he's given you to us. All right? <laughs> One of the things that I got on the boys this week about is that, and I, I hear it even today, I don't want to do this, and I don't want to do that. And people know me, know my response to that. I don't care what you want to do. I don't. I don't expect a nine-year-old to know what's good for him. A 12-year-old, a 15-year-old to know what's good. I don't expect a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old, an 80-year-old to know. I expect them to trust God to know what's good for them. So don't come into ministry saying, I don't want to do this, and I don't want to do that. God has given us a work to do, and he said this week, communion, here's what I'm giving you to do. Now, as you begin to do this, I may open up some other ways and paths and ministries for you, but start here and do this and be faithful. So the people that God has given to this work need to be busy doing what God called us to do. And stop saying, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. I'd rather not do this. Get involved in the work that God has for you, and you will find, or God will find and fit you in a place that he wants for you. Stop telling God what you want to do and not going to do. And make yourself available to whatever God has for you. And so, Paul is saying, I'm praying for them, and now I work. I labor. I give myself for the sake of others growing in Christ. That's what my life is about. He said it's hard work. Notice the terms he used, struggling with all effort, toil. I think about mothers more recently, those who, who's given birth or about to give birth, <laughs> they call that labor, don't they? <laughs> Heidi's about any day now, and she's barely here today. It's just, she's working through. She's struggling through. She's toiling, I know. <laughs> she's a warrior. Many of us in that same state would not be here today. I praise God for that, for her willingness but that, that term labor means that there's an extreme amount of effort. And think about it. In, in, in the case of mother giving birth, that's just the start of it. The baby is born and it starts. The life starts. The teaching starts. The training, the discipline, the prayer, the leading, the instructing, the guiding starts. Paul says, I'm willing to labor to toil, to struggle. I've given some examples of some of our guys and some of the things they need to learn, but I'm thankful for seeing, you know, having done this for several years, to see guys who started out complaining and, and bickering and now see them sometimes as leaders in those groups, showing that they are growing 
in their in in, in maturity and 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 they're, they're just, it's starting to click with them. They're starting to get it. They're starting to see that to have somebody tell them what to do is not mean. You see, it, it's 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 not a, a a bad thing to listen to an authority or even to have an authority in your life. It's not a negative thing. And so they're starting to embrace, and they're starting to grow, and they're starting to flourish in that. I praise God to see that. And, and, and I said to our, our, our group of, of, of boys that I, I can see God using this small group and changing Milwaukee. And the reason why I say that is because I've seen that the very men who are training and teaching them, I've seen them develop and grow in the Lord to where they're willing to toil, they're willing to struggle, they're willing to, to take uh, 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 all of these, these hardships that it is to, to work with the young guys and to invest in them. Several of the guys who worked in, in a boys camp don't have boys old enough to, 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 to really participate in it and then really enjoy it, but they've given of themselves so that other boys can, can, can be impacted in their lives. That's what Paul is talking about. I toil, I struggle. And I'm using the boys as an example, but the same thing will be said this week as we look forward to the girls' camp, is that these ladies have given of themselves, are giving of themselves in several different capacities. With the boys, I, I've seen so many people uh, participate. It could be the treats for the boys. It could be the uh, uh, um, uh, preparing the grounds. There are people uh, setting out cones and, and, and cleaning out the parking lot and cleaning up afterwards and doing all the things that are needed to, to, to be done so that we can have a, 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 an atmosphere that teaching, ministering, and communicating can take place. I praise God for that. Paul did say his work, though. It's a struggle, it's a toil, and it calls for effort. And then he says this, with all his energy that he empowers, that he powerfully works within me. He recognized that it takes our labor, but God does the enabling. God gives us the, the, the uh, he, he's a source of our strength. Now that don't mean you won't go home tired. That won't mean that you won't go home sore. Uh, one of the, <laughs> they, <laughs> it's interesting, Lawrence gave some, he had a gift bag for helpers. And in that gift bag, I'm thinking, hey, I'm going to have a donut maybe. I'm going to have something to eat. And, and I looked at it. It, it, was, it was one of those ointment things that you use, you know, for, for your bath to, 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 to help all the soreness that you have. <laughs> I said, he, knew, he knew what I was going to need. <laughs> He knew that in the labor, there's going to be some tiredness. There's going to be some, some you're going to be sore a little bit. You know, you, you're going to feel it. There's a cost, is what it's saying. There's a cost. There's a labor, a hard work. But God enables those who give themselves to be used of that, used of him. He, he gives them the ability to endure and to keep going. I praise God for that. It's amazing to me that in such a small ministry that um, God is using um, his people for his glory. 
And what it does is it speaks of God's work, is that he, he takes a small thing and empowers us, and it shows that it, it is his power that's behind it. It's his power that's behind it. But don't forget, he uses us as the means. He uses us as an instrument. A means is, is like a straw. It's like a straw. It is, it is the instrument that the fluid flows through to get from one place to the other. God could have done it without a means, but he's chosen to use a means. Would you make yourself available to be used of God? Yes, it's going to take work. Yes, it's going to take commitment and dedication. Yes, you're going to be tired. Some days you're going to feel like giving up, but you won't. You won't because God enables you and you recognize that somebody did that so that you might hear the gospel and you're so thankful to God for how he has used others in your life that you're willing yourself to be used for others to hear the gospel. All in Milwaukee will die and go to hell if none of us are used to be a means. If all of us simply pray that somebody else be a means, then people will perish in their sin. But if each of us, just in this building, if each of us give ourselves to be used of God, God can effectively reach this city by his power and us as a means. Would you make yourself available to God? Paul says, I've been given a stewardship, a responsibility to make the word of God fully known. Would you take that responsibility seriously and give yourself to God for that responsibility? Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing in this group of believers. I first of all, I want to pray for those here today that don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. They've heard the gospel, but they're not living it. I pray that you speak to their hearts. They have seen the gospel lived out. They've seen what it looks like for people who commit their lives to you. They've heard of what you have done. They've heard the gospel presented in ways that are easy to understand. They may even think that they're okay. The gospel isn't effective in their lives. They don't have that desire to be used of you. They don't share the gospel with others in an effective way, and they're not living it. So I pray that you speak to their hearts to draw them to you and that you would use us to probe to challenge, to speak, to warn and to instruct that they would turn from their sin. They'd be willing to give, to sacrifice, and even suffer for your sake and for others coming to Christ. Then I pray, Lord, for us here today who, who do trust you as Lord and Savior, that you would renew our commitment. You would renew that motivation and commitment in our lives to commit and to dedicate ourselves to this work and this ministry 
for the sake of people hearing the gospel and turning just the way you used the gospel in our lives. I pray for those who were at the boys' camp that as the gospel went out, that you would not let it be forgotten and use it to bring others to Christ. I pray for the jump rope camp this week. You would raise up people, maybe some, some people here today didn't plan on being involved, but they should. They should commit themselves. It's only four days, and if they can co commit at least a portion of that, may they be willing to do that so that someone else can hear and grow in the gospel. So touch hearts in that way. Then touch the hearts of those who are committed. Some are here even tired today because they've worked so hard this week. I pray that you would strengthen, encourage them, renew them. They know it's hard work. They know it's not over. But I pray that you give them that comfort that comes from you, knowing, Lord, that this is eternal work. There's nothing more productive than to be used by you in the gospel. So I pray this now. Pray that you use us. We commit ourselves and dedicate ourselves to your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.